How do you choose a supplier? How do you select a supplier to work with? This is the question that has troubled many procurement people since the beginning of their careers. How to make the right decision? We have today a man who gave us a framework on how to decide which supplier is most suitable for us. My name is Simba. Welcome to Meet Me at the Top. So today we have Dr. Ray Carter with us, and he brought Jeff, who runs the SIP Study Center under DPSS. Dr. Ray Carter operates a consulting company called DPSS out in the UK, and we are very, very pleased that they joined us today and kind of give us, you know, best of both worlds, the consulting space as well as the training space as well. I think if you've started anything to do with procurement, in particular, if you did SIPs, you would know the cutter senses. It's quite an easy model to use, easy to remember. And today we have the legend with us today. I must say this to you. I didn't tell you this before, but when I told people that you were going to be on the show, many people could not believe it. You are such a legend that people thought you were no longer with us on earth. That's how of a legend you are, you know. So thank you for being on the show. Okay, uh, thank you, Simba. Yes, I am alive. My demise is, is much overstated. I've been involved in procurement contracting for many years, going back to the, uh, the mid-90s, early 80s, when I was developing the 10C model in 1992, to be exact, actually. I run the DPSS company, which is our study centre. We run SIPs programmes for both classroom and virtual. And Jeff will be talking about that a bit later. Yeah. In terms of tools that I carry with me, I always refer to my 10C model. It's held me in good stead. And whenever Jeff and I are talking to clients and we talk about their issues and their requirements and their problems, very often it does rest with one of the one of my 10 C's has not been properly addressed so it is not only a, a good selection tool it's also a good uh, diagnostic tool i think jeff you'd agree with that absolutely it's uh, quite an essential tool really and for study as well it's ideal it's good it's a good tool uh, to use and in fact i was only speaking last night with some students about uh, its usage they haven't been on a sips course before and they were quite fascinated by it, so, yeah. I'm curious, how did you get to this module? Like, uh, just a brief, how did this come about? I'm just so curious how you were able to bring about something okay. so neat. Okay, well, basically, when I was teaching at university, before I left to join the company, rather like Jeff, I was a, a lecturer, and I had students and they were doing exams about procurement and contracting. So as a teacher's perspective, I was trying to think of how can I make it easier for them to remember when they come to the exam room and the question says, what are the attributes of a a, a great supplier? At least if they all began with the letter C, it's a, a good memory aid. It's a good mnemonic. So then I tried to restructure that to reflect the actual requirements. So it's basically a play on words. It's basically um, trying to think of what we really want from a good supplier and using words, using terminology that would fit in with uh, the letter C to have this. I was trying to follow like the marketing four P's or the five S's or whatever it is. These sort of mnemonics that people that people develop are stick in the mind. So it, it began really as an investigation into what we should be looking at for a good contractor, competent contractor, and then turning that into a series of points that where the letter C could, could work. And fortunately for me, I mean, for example, one of them should be balance sheet, but I've used cash and finance, C for cash. So that, that kind of works. So it was, a play, it was a play on words, really, to get the key points across. What I would say is, of course, now the, the 10 Cs, there is, an, there is an, a, a web app that we've developed that is freely available to anybody. And that is actually an, an app which asks all kinds of different questions under the heading of the 10 Cs. 
it does the analysis for you and you click the button and it will give you an evaluation of the supplier that you've input the information about. So actually, you might want to, after this conversation, I, I can send you the link uh, and you can publish that on your website. It's a web app. It's not an Apple app. It's a smartphone or laptop app. But it does enable you to, to do that. But that's something that we that we like to make public because it is freely, freely available. Uh, that is actually a great, great news. I would definitely love to check it out and put the link on that on, on the podcast episode so that anyone who listens yeah. no, to, to that also yeah. follow that up. How long have you been working in this industry and uh, what have you learned from your work? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been in this industry since uh, the late 1990s as a consultant at a company. It was, I think what I've learned is that th- although things change in procurement and contracting, and there are some radical changes over time, the fundamentals always still apply. The competition, clear scopes of work, good relationships. So though we have blockchain and we have artificial intelligence and we have click-down contracts, all those kind of changes and innovations, it still fundamentally comes down to saying to the contractor exactly what we want, what's the outcomes we want, uh, selecting contractors who are fundamentally sound and aligned to our objectives, and that fundamental evaluation criteria, although they although they have changed, I mean, for example, we now talk about relationships and CSR, that in the early days of the model, because if we go back to the model, the model started as seven Cs, uh, not ten, and as the subject has grown and developed, I added on CSR, uh, culture and relationships and communication. So the model has actually grown to fill the, uh, fill the space created by changes. But that's fundamentally what I've learned, I think, is that, that the fundamentals stack remain as they are. Jeff, what about you, Saying, I think from, from a career point of view, I know I've been involved in supply chain Again, from the mid sort of uh, 1990s, working in a manufacturing organization. And that uh, work was cross continental. It was uh, operating in Europe and also in the Far East as well. Having spent some time in logistics and, and also with warehousing elements within that role, I moved into another sphere in my career, which uh, took me into the world of public sector consultancy and uh, worked for an organisation giving advice, guidance to many public sector businesses in terms of how they go about uh, managing their supply chain challenges and uh, procurement challenges. And this is really where I sort of then began to focus much more on procurement as a topic. And uh, and then within a a short while, I started to do some some part-time teaching for SIPs at a local college. And, uh, and then subsequently, uh, Ray and I have uh, developed the DPSS SIPs relationship around a sort of study centre process with uh, helping candidates get their MSIPs qualifications. And that's really where it's taken me. It's a career going back sort of 25, 30 years in that sense. Hmm. Tell me something. The study center. What does the the acronym stand for? What does the, the what stand for? The acronym. The D. DPSS. So I think ah, DPSS. Yeah. <laughs> ah, it stands yes. for. Okay, it stands for developing people serving the supply chain. Developing people serving supply chains. This is what, which is what we do. I mean, yeah. we, we talk to, we teach and train people who fit under the supply chain and that procurement, contracting, logistics, transport, or all those who are involved in the supply chain. So we're a very, a very specialist niche business. We don't, we don't do finance training. We don't do marketing. Our expertise is under the under the supply chain umbrella. Perhaps we can then look at another area of your work, the tools that you carry. Yes, we have we have developed a lot of tools, DPSS tools. I mean, obviously, there's the 10C model tool. We, I mean, I also make often reference to the Crowdject model, bottleneck, leverage, routine, strategic. I, I think that's a very, a very powerful tool uh, developed by the 
project. We often use that. We often uh, make reference to Porter's Five Forces in terms of understanding markets and how markets work. So that's one of our, again, one of our fundamentals. Also, of course, SWOT analysis, understanding the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats, particularly when we're discussing negotiation preparation. I think that's also a, a very useful tool that uh, that we can make use of. And also there are, as I said, lots of other tools. I mean, Jeff, yeah. what tools are you using at the moment? Yeah, well, there's many tools that, that get utilised in the world of procurement. One of the things I've always been very keen on is, obviously, Ray's mentioned that the Kralich model, that's a model that can sit pretty much alongside that Kralich model is the relationship spectrum, which looks at sort of relationships yeah. from a more competitive angle to a more collaborative angle. And to some degree, you can almost place that uh, model on top of the Kralich model. Mm. And, and and that in itself sort of starts to give an, an alignment that um, more leverage deals, more sort of routine type purchases tend to be much more aligned to a relationship that's a bit more sort of competitive and and then conversely you can look at it from the other angle looking at the strategic and bottleneck sort of aligned to much more collaborative because of the risk factors that are involved in supply so they'd certainly that would certainly be a model and i think also things like steeples which is very uh, aligned to what might have been traditionally looked at as a, a pastel analysis. Mm, yeah. And also things like Mendelo's stakeholder mapping model. They're pretty yeah. useful tools to help procurement people sort of plan out what they're trying to do and yeah. how they're going about uh, achieving their goals, etc. Because yeah. it's interesting that you say that because often I, I feel one of the issues that procurement have is they tend to be, they can make themselves quite unpopular with other departments inadvertently but because they are process driven and they are guardians of the company's money sometimes they are seen as being inhibiting innovation they seem as being inhibiting if that's not correct but it's a matter of perception and i think being able to manage stakeholders and communicate with stakeholders is a very important attribute of uh, modern procurement to be able to reach out to their customers internal customers uh, to explain you know the value of uh, good procurement uh, yeah. And good contract management. Yeah, I think uh, you know the the point that Ray's made there is a very strong one because this whole stakeholder element can be quite uh, fraught with challenges and dangers for procurement people and and frustrations I think as well. So having good cross functional focus, building of relationships and understanding who's responsible and accountable and who people should should consult with and keep informed plays a big role as well. So yet another model comes in, which is this racy model. Yeah. And so very important piece is this. Yeah. Let me go to another question and come back to this one to interrogate it. Why? Because the, the next question is what is fundamentally changed from when you started and now? Right when you started your career and what we have today, and then I then want to bring in this question about the tools, in the sense that a procurement person ten years ago or twenty years ago in the nineties and today, are the tools of that time still relevant? What are you providing or suggesting to clients, your students in this environment? A general level, I'm just going to give an example. Yeah. But right now, I think resilience, for example. So, what sort of tools do do are you are you prescribing to say, okay, this if you if you have if you learn this and this, we can use this. Organization is going to be value to the business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me start. I mean, I think in terms of fundamental change about uh, our work. In procurement has been one part has been technology uh artificial technology blockchain uh, zoom all these technologies over the years have have changed procurement i mean google for example means now that we can source the world when i was first in procurement you had to rely on directories and, and catalogs and 
things to uh, find what was available. Now you can go to Google and you, you clock in high, high, high pressure valves and you'll get hundreds of hits if there are hundreds of supplies. So I would say that the whole, the whole internet has radically changed procurement. Blockchain type contracts used by supermarkets now to track where things have come from and where they were, how long they were there and where they're going to. I think Zoom, obviously, which has been accelerated by the pandemic. I mean, before the pandemic, I used to spend, I was driving thousands of miles a year, visiting clients, going to courses, going to conferences. Now that's virtually at the moment, virtually all it's gone, virtually all now Zoom based events in the UK and overseas, obviously. In terms of, in terms of, I think the other thing which I think is different is the emphasis in the last decade on relationships. Um, as I said, uh, in my previous model, the seven C's, there was no mention of relationships. It wasn't seen as being something that we would be concerned with. But now it's a critical factor in making a selection decision. Can we have a relationship with these guys? Can they be trusted? Are they, are they here for the long term? Again, these are questions that a decade ago would have had much less, much less influence on the final decision. CSR, the whole environmental issue, I think, again, in the last decade has become mainstream. I'm looking for suppliers who do subscribe to our, our zero net carbon zero objectives as, as companies. And the whole idea about social value, particularly in public sector, where procurement is being used to make to develop public good, like creating jobs and developing the infrastructure and helping local communities with, with public spend. In terms of tools, I would say that most of them still are still valid, actually. I mean, as I said, in terms of the 10 Cs, because I, I was able to add in CSR and uh, culture and relationships and communication, I was able to model was able to fit in with the with the new the new paradigm with the new way of working, uh, and I think also that's also true of things like Crowdjar. I mean, I think one of the, one of the tests of a good model is it that it stands the test of time, and I think Crowdjar has stood the test of time. Although, yeah. and as Jeff said, you can it's now been you can use this a relationship mapping tool. You know, what sort of relationship should we have with a bottleneck supplier as opposed to a strategic supplier. Jeff, you... And I think just picking up on what you said there, Ray, technology clearly has played uh, a big role in the changing environment. When you sort of consider that, uh, I think it's opened up pathways to international sourcing. It's allowed electronic data to interchange between organisations. It's enabled e-procurement to take place. It's just opened up the whole sphere of supply chains and markets and that has been particularly brilliant along with that comes other challenges for example if you're spending more time doing international sourcing then you've got to start looking at sort of currency values currency exchanges and put tools in place to uh, to minimize any of the risks associated with that so again you might be looking at sort of a, a simple probability and likelihood risk model in relation to that but, but I think Ray's made the point there about the changing world of relationships. If we turn the clock back sort of 20 years ago, maybe even shorter than that, procurement would have been known as purchasing, and purchasing in the eyes of most organisations would have been a very transactional activity. So today it does have a much more strategic value to a business and as a result of that procurement people now are getting involved in the uh, market issues the uh, working with the stakeholders trying to formulate business uh, cases and helping out with specification development and also being much more involved these days in contract management and relationship management of suppliers so it's it's turned into very much more a broader sort of role than ever before. And it still fascinates me that as it's taken this greater, broader role, that it still doesn't really have a place on many boards within many organisations. And I think 
if it's really going to get its place in organisations, then it really does need to uh, be at the top table, if you like, in that regard. So just a few yeah, thoughts yes. about it. Yes, I was going to say it was going to go to the next question to say, um, as a person who studied SIPs and uh, also retired and around different companies, there are two issues for me. One would be, I feel particularly here in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, we, in terms of operations practices, we are still behind of our knowledge. So our, our knowledge and skills is a bit ahead of the actual practices which happen. Mm -hmm. And so you find comments like not too theoretical or something like that. Mm -hmm. SIPs, if you look at SIPs as an example, the mm -hmm. case studies and so practices, I, 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 I get a, a, a laugh every time I ask people, let's do steeple properly let's do it properly yeah. what is happening now so there, there is that challenge of, of then marrying the two because yeah. in the work environment finding that support or that presence yeah. in decision making and then at a high level as you were alluding to we we kind of still not yet there yeah. and it, it's very it may be dark and twisted but i'm beginning to think that all this crisis you know, which have happened for the last 20 years, actually good for us because mm -hmm. they've put us closer and closer to where we want to go. They've kind of become a catalyst to, to get people to say, okay, let's look at procurement. Let's, let's look at our supply chain, like COVID, yeah. you know, things which are happening. They've kind of actually helped us to, yeah. to, to get to the fore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of organisations are saying to their procurement teams, we need this, we need that, where is it, can you supply it, do you have alternative sources? So I think you're absolutely right, it's put procurement in, in the spotlight. The pandemic has put uh, procurement and the fragility of some of our supply chains, which are, I think one of the issues that we've made the supply chain so lean over the years, for good reason, but of course that means they're very fragile. So as soon as any hold-ups or shipping problems or the issues we've had with the pandemic, We've had some serious breakdowns in those supply, in those lean supply chains. So I suspect we'll be moving after the pandemic to more local sourcing. We're going to be moving to more looking for more agile supply chains, you know, able to react to change more, more, more radically. I think we'll be, I think we'll be starting to hold more inventory than we've traditionally done so, uh, because of that, that, that the impact uh, of of the pandemic on on the supply chain. Jeff, you would yeah, agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think we're already beginning to see how some companies uh, in, in more recent times have started to look more locally for uh, the acquisition of goods and services, largely because of the the challenges that the supply chains have brought you know, whilst we're in this COVID issue. So, Absolutely. But I'll just pick up on the point there, Simba, that you made about not businesses not really always being in the position that perhaps they could or should be. And, and maybe that's a result of many of the individuals within the businesses not either taking the opportunity or not knowing the opportunity of gaining some wider experience, maybe through some study, through SIPs or whatever. I think the good thing about SIP study is that it provides some best practice. It's not about telling you how to do it. It's about sort of guiding you. These are some of the best practice methodologies, tools. I would always suggest that a good place to start, if no one really has massive experience, is to start at the beginning. And some of the SIPS modules at level two and level three are an ideal platform for uh, developing skills going forward. And I think it's going to... I've seen here in the UK that it's already... A lot of people who have gone through the SIPS programs are beginning to bring about the change that organisations need. And it's been a slow birth over, I would say, the last five to ten years. But I think it is reaching a stage now where we are beginning to see that procurement is being treated with more reverence in businesses than ever before. And 
I don't know what the state of play is in South Africa or in many of the other African countries, but I suspect that, it, again, it's going to be this alignment or cross-functional working with the other parts of the business and a recognition that we've got value to add will make that difference eventually. And if people can be encouraged within the purchasing procurement activities or supply chain activities to at least do some of the level two or level three modules, then I'm absolutely certain there will be much better outcomes in the long term. I mean, that's right. I mean, the other big issue, I think, is the demonstration of a body of knowledge. What SIPS helps people to do is to say, I do know, I'm a procurement expert and I know more than the engineer does. Yeah. Because uh, the engineer could pick up the phone and order a, a turbine, any port can do that. But yeah. that's why I think procurement professionals have to say there's a professional process, there are models, yeah. there's the 10 Cs, there's portals. Yeah. I mean, to demonstrate to the internal customer yeah. that one has grasped the subject and these models yeah. and, yeah. These, and these applications and the body yeah. of knowledge will enable them to advise... Yeah. Uh, the internal customer uh, yeah. to get better value. I mean, I think that's really where we need to go. I think that's, yeah. that will bring about the change when people go, ah, procurement people. They they know things I don't know. They they know models I'm not familiar with as a yeah. technical person. So yeah, I, I want to listen to this. Uh, that, yeah. That's my that's how I see it going. Yeah, I would agree, Ray. It's adding that professionalism. It's being seen to have that professionalism. Yeah, and and not just being a person in the purchasing team. That's there to serve you entirely mm. rather than advice. be able to give advice and guidance and yeah. assistance. Mm. Interesting. I'm going to ask you from your experiences, I'm sure when you do your training, the question would be, isn't there a gap as well in terms of what sort of training is available for the non-procurement professionals? So the, the idea or the question would suggest that a way to, to delegate uh, some of the work that we are doing as it is. And for us to have the kind of a, a, a delegation and addition, so that we focus on the we need a bit of material which is an procurement professionals, so the other departments. And I would imagine, for example, many people when they're in school, maybe they don't like accounting. They don't like accounting. They do another degree. When they get to an MBA level, they have to just, they have to, to know some of these things. So they get that exposure, which will allow them now to be able to interact with the finance department. So again, with this, I'm imagining somehow having procurement as a staple of an MBA or MBL just you there from with marketing. So if anyone who is in business school should you know get one or two courses on procurement and help them now within the organization, even for us as the professionals now, as we engage with an executive from marketing, from another from engineering, they will be able to really appreciate some of the concepts that we, we, we are having. So my question to you really is, what are you doing? Uh, are you doing work around the professionals you know, to get everyone on board? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think I can try and answer that one for you. It, it's an interesting question because I think a lot of this goes back to what I was saying before about where purchasing or where procurement has been positioned. And if you look at so many of the courses that are offered to young people, for example, say between the ages of 16 and, and 19, you often don't see procurement being on the agenda. You'll see you'll see accounting, you'll see finance, you'll see marketing, you'll see business administration, but you don't see procurement. And, and I think that has been uh, a problem here in the UK, and I suspect it's the same in South Africa. Yes, there are specialist courses when you go to university or, or college where you can do supply chain, but it's rather at high level. And I think some of the things that could be done to help younger people grasp uh, a better understanding could be in the sense that courses are designed much more at like a higher school level in these topics. But having said that, as a business ourselves, we mentioned earlier in, in the statement there, Simba, about 
operational people not always having the knowledge and the skills and the abilities and we, we did some work for a, a major client of ours uh, a few years ago where we, we did some full training for the procurement team over several years to get every member of the train of the team fully up to speed with the processes systems procedures and everything else that they were doing but then we went on to run a series of one-day workshops with uh, the various stakeholders within the organization, those that were in, on the operational side, those that were fronting customers, so they could understand the basic format of the world of procurement and what procurement does and why it was an integral part of their business model, etc. And I, that went down very, very well. And I think it is about sort of encouragement very much across businesses and encouraging more people whether they are operational, whether they are supply chain, or whether they're procurement, to, to, to come together as part of a, a training, a process. I'm not saying they all do SIPs and you know, the other parts of the business, but at least have a familiarity with what the organisation is doing. And I'm sure that that will, along with colleges, schools, etc., doing more work around offering these types of courses, would breed a better understanding for more people. Yeah, I was going to go on and say that uh, one of the big projects we were running over the last couple of years was exactly that, was the work that we're doing with the National Oil Company, yeah. uh, which was basically 250 members of technical members of staff who had to be trained uh, to understand the procurement process. They were technical people. They had no commercial knowledge, but they were the company was organised in such a way that these people had a direct involvement in procurement and they would not be that there was processes to follow legal processes to follow yeah. that they were not following so the company came to us and said these guys have got to understand they must be compliant they must understand the value of good procurement and the way we went about it we did a lot of pre-course research we did site visits i flew out to the to the uae uh, we did online surveys to get their current body of knowledge and it was quite low the big issue for us was motivation, because a lot of people would come to the class and say, why am I here? I'm not a procurement person. I'm technical. Anybody could pick up the phone and place an order. Why do we have to learn all these things? And that was the big challenge for us, was to, to make them understand the value of procurement. So it's both carrot and the stick. The carrot was, if you understand procurement better, you'll get better results, you'll get better outcomes. And the stick, of course, was if you don't follow the rules, there will be issues. There will be discipline. There will be there will be consequences. This is the stuff that you and I did out in the UAE, Jeff. Remember? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that they were not procurement people, but they needed to understand. Because before that, we did the program. There were variations. There were claims. There were wastage. There was reworking. It was a very disorganized procurement operation in this company. Uh, because the procurement team just could not control what was going on in the field. So it was either expand the procurement department tremendously, which they didn't want to do, and the option we gave them was, well, we'll have to educate your technical people to understand the value of procurement and follow the rules. And that's that's been a, pre, a very successful out uh, project. They have got, come back with some, some good savings. The process is much more compliant now, much smoother, and... Although it's an ongoing program, it was held up by the pandemic and we had to go from classroom to virtual. But this will be the last year, I think, we'll be running the program. But uh, it's been, been a, a big success uh, because now people do understand procurement's value. And it's, again, going back to technical people who have no experience of technical issues or legal issues or they shake hands with people and they send emails going, yes, go ahead, and not realising they're forming contracts. It was happening all the time. But not now. Now they're much more uh, aware of their commercial responsibilities. Just to go further on this kind of topic, trying to be relevant to the stakeholders, objectives in terms of procurement, whether in the UK, as Africa is, the focus on small businesses small businesses and i just wanted to ask what have you found any use of the the tendencies in terms of helping people um, understand how they can find particular suppliers uh small suppliers who they can work with 
it's interesting because the way it's, the way it can be used, it's not only of use to the buyers on how to segregate and look for the right type of SME, because it's also a valuable tool for the SME themselves because it gives them an insight into what their customers are looking for. So it, it works yeah. both the buy side and the sell side. So the sell side guys look at it and go, the buyer wants me to be consistent. I must demonstrate that. The buyer wants me to demonstrate I have capacity. I need to do that. So we, a lot of people use it as a marketing, as a big development tool, as well as a supplier selection tool. A lot of people yeah. on, on how, to, yeah. how to get public contracts or how to, how to bid for contracts because, well, it, because most people are in... Because most people who own procurement, particularly in the UK, are SIPs qualified, as, as Jeff has said, and they're all very familiar with the 10C model. People who are not procurement yeah. people, people who are marketing, can now see what they're looking for, what their objectives are, what their requirements are. It's almost a reverse or the opposite of the exactly. supplier preferencing model kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's a very, it's a very ubiquitous model. It's got, it can be used in, in more than more than one way i mean obviously what sip says is the model can be used for pre-award selecting the supplier but also it can be used post-award measuring their success are they still consistent are, do they still demonstrate capacity are they is their relationship still good so it can be used both both pre and, and post share with us uh, a passion project one which we were involved in was a, a course on negotiation on practical negotiation, and this for, was for uh, a, a number of groups working in the public sector, which doesn't have a great reputation with negotiation. They uh, they tend to be they tend not they tend to default to tender and bid, whereas in fact often uh, negotiation can lead to better outcome. What we dis- the way we organised the program is that we did. The first day of the course was on practical practical negotiations, how, you, how one would prepare for negotiations, what models you would use. We were looking at the, the five P's of negotiation, planning, preparing, participating, performing, and post-evaluation. And we shared a lot of experience with them, a lot of knowledge with them. And then we asked the, the, the participants to use those tools and techniques in a practical negotiation that they were that was coming up so we wanted to get the linkage between what we were telling them and how they would apply that to a proper negotiation uh, and then we asked them to come back to the class i think two or three weeks later and tell us their story tell us how they were able to apply these tools and techniques and this knowledge to a specific real case uh negotiation and some of the feedback we got was really very interesting and how they've been able to dramatically reduce costs, sometimes simply by saying to the supplier, is, is that your best offer? You know, historically in this organisation, whatever the supplier had given them, they'd accepted that, not challenged, or looked for opportunity for leverage, or they'd not you know, said to the supplier, there could be a linkage here between this particular contract and future contracts, if you're competitive. I mean, things for us that were quite basic, but this team were quite radical. And they came back and they said, this is, we're really surprised. We've cut our cost by 30% by simply applying some of these some of these tools that, you, that we discussed with you. And we were very pleased because this was actually, to give it its full context, it was about social care. And these, these, these were brokers who had to go to care homes to negotiate for placements for elderly people to be looked after. And when they first started the project, the average cost per week for a company to to look after an elderly person was fifteen hundred pounds per week, and now that now the cost is one thousand pounds a week. So they've gone from paying fifteen hundred pounds per week for for citizen elderly citizens, they're now negotiating around a thousand pounds per week. So that's quite a big impact. So socially as well. So well as commercially, there's also we've done some social good because it meant more people can spend can get more better service. There's one sort of major one I'm thinking of is in relation to a large power company here in the UK who worked with us for well in fact they still are working with us 
and that's a relationship that's been in place for about seven years. And the relationship was built around their graduates coming into the organisation and needing to be uh, trained and developed with their SIPs qualifications. So most of the graduates had joined the organisation on the basis of the fact that they may may have done a law degree, may have done a, a marketing degree, but they've come in with a degree and they joined the procurement function. And the organisation was very keen to get them trained down this route. So we've embarked on giving them a training around the SIPs Level 4 diploma, where they went through the entire programme. They've done the SIPs Level 5 and SIPs Level 6. And I have to say, I've been really valued by the fact that every single one of them has gone on now and has gained their MSIPs qualification. And that's a fantastic achievement, not only for them, but for their business and and for us as an organisation as well, because it's a joint thing. All three parties have got to make this happen. And the result of that's certainly given that organisation a better opportunity to build on that in terms of enabling them to put in new processes, put in new systems. And with some of the students that um, are working that in that organisation that are not graduates, they've joined programmes that we're operating with at, at the moment with, with their classes. And even last night when I was delivering a class, I was able to call on one of those students to just sort of give an example of what you do within your workplace that brings about that value that we've been talking about in the lesson. So we we spoke earlier about relationships and how important they are and how important doing projects are. But this is a nice combination. And I thought that for your listeners, it might be uh, of some interest to see how you can utilise all the learning, put it into practice and keep enabling others to gain from it as well as yourselves. Also, I have to say, because Jeff is an inspirational trainer when it comes to SIPs uh, he sets people alight he uh, gets them early and once 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 Jeff connects with them and he inspires them then they as he, as he says they then go on and do their SIPs exams and become yeah. professionals yeah yeah it's key isn't it really you want you, you want to encourage people you want to motivate them and you want them to stick the course and we have a a bit of a motto really within the business that uh, once you start with us you'll stay with us yeah. uh, and achieve what you set out to achieve and we'll help you yeah. do that we now have a, a new module level five which yeah. is looking at negotiations yeah. so i'm just trying to imagine what sort of areas really do we need to to yeah. emphasize on training as well that's a really good question funnily enough somebody was asking me the other day about the level five module and the level five module, it talks all about advanced negotiation skills. And I think, as you've rightly said there, what often is a problem with many negotiations is the, is the lack of planning, the lack of consultation, the lack of teamwork, if you are going into negotiation as a team. And then it's that lack then of, as I say, the planning and preparation elements. But it's also thinking about who your team's going to be. You know, what skills have they got? Are they the right skills? Yeah. And also then contemplating things like emotional intelligence, which is a massive subject in the Level 5 programme. Culture plays a big role in that Level 5 programme, understanding cultures. We use Hofstede's model quite a lot, and there's a fantastic tool on the Hofstede's model, which allows you from a cultural point of view, if you're doing international negotiations to look at the different dimensions there are across a range of different countries. Mm-hmm. So all of these things play a big, big role in negotiation, and I think they're often missed. And the real fundamental problem for a lot of people is when we come back to the planning element, it's about what's your most desired situation or what's the most least acceptable to you. And I think if you haven't really sort of planned that out and thought that through, your danger is that you're going to fall victim to a deal that you don't want and a deal that actually is uh, not a win-win situation for both parties. So they'd be some of the 
the elements that I would highlight about it. But we do a lot of training on negotiation. It is a key topic for us. And I think if you're going to, if you've done the level four, level five is really going to widen those elements I've highlighted there. It's the planning, the understanding of cultures and the understanding of topics like emotional intelligence and picking the right people, therefore with the right skills to support the team approach to the negotiation. Very, very interesting. Thank you. I I think when you understand negotiation, you you will find so many major major news. Well, you want to talk about America, even the the whole uh, story right now about the build up in eastern uh, eastern Ukraine and so forth, mm-hmm. and they did as a negotiation play. People want you to get whatever they want. Did you have mentoring relationships that you had to develop in careers for a longest time? And also, in terms of your study center and your other businesses, that kind of assistance as well, or program your clients or students to help them now really get past the line. I think there's several elements that go into this. One in particular is trust in the business and trust in the, the delivery of the training and trust in what we're about as an organization. And... I'd love to have some of our clients on talking to you now, but they would probably tell you that one of the things or one of the key attributes that we have is our perseverance and guidance and uh, assistance in helping people to get through the qualifications. I make it very clear to them when they start on this journey that it's, it's not an easy ride and you've really got to put the hours in and put the effort in if you want to succeed. So ultimately... The pressure is on the individual as much as it's on ourselves to facilitate and to help them to achieve their ambitions. But you only get out of life what you put in. And if you as the student aren't able to put in the required study, then you ain't going to succeed. And I think that's a message that try and get across very, very early on. But as I say, it's all about encouragement. And I, I would rather somebody start at a lower level in a qualification than go at a higher level and find that that higher level is too difficult for them. Most often, unless we're directed by the employer, we would always have a discussion with the student or the employee to gauge what they know, what they don't know, and make a decision with them as to what level they should start on. I've seen a lot more people starting their studies now at level three uh, rather than at level four. And I, and I think that has a role to play in the way that businesses are beginning to look at things. They're bringing junior people in now just to grasp the knowledge so that when they move up to a higher level within the business, they are much, much more familiar than their predecessors would have been at that time in their careers. I'll probably ask you the top three skills for success for for procurement professionals that you say people should have. Perhaps the advice that you would give someone who wants to follow a similar path. So you can each take one from there. Yeah, okay. Well, certainly the three I think that are are essential skills are soft skills, the whole soft skills, communication, emotional intelligence, negotiation skills, and stakeholder management, I think. For me, they would be the three key skills that I think a procurement person today needs. They need to be able to understand relationships, soft skills, they need to be able to negotiate, and they need to be able to engage with stakeholders to sell the benefits of procurement and to get the stakeholders engaged. Jeff, you want to... Yeah, I, I think you touched there on the on the soft skills, and I think obviously the soft skills are very important. I, I think also there's a degree of hard skills here as well, and I think there's a, a fair degree here of better knowledge on, on some of the financial elements, especially the mathematics within the financial elements. Still too many people don't understand the fundamentals of, of, of maths, which is a shame in a way. 
I think the other thing that also needs to be taken on board here is a bit more focus around the documentation, the, the sort of understanding of contracts, the terms and conditions, what they mean, yeah. uh, and things of that nature. And also a focus on, especially from a procurement perspective, of understanding what it is that you want to buy and why you want to buy it. Just simple things like getting the specification better equipped might be a blessing for a lot of businesses and avoid claims and variations that often um, come about as a result. So they'd be the sort of things that I would be looking at in terms of the hard skills, the, the financial, the contract and the business planning. If I wanted to be like you when I grow up, still quite young, what I do, do and just one thing that I can do to get myself in that right direction. That's an interesting question. One thing could they do? I, I, I think that any individual needs to be, be be very clear on what it is that they want to do with their, uh, with their career. And I think that they've got to be self-motivated to want to do that. And if you're self-motivated uh, to do something, then that's going to give you that ability to persevere and to succeed. So that would be, I think, my angle on this is know what it is that you want and uh, motivate yourself to go and get it. And I think they would need to get CIPS chartered status. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To become, it's got to, it's got to start with their professional qualification. That is yeah. their their entry ticket to the yeah. to the game. Yeah. If that they are professionally qualified chartered institute in the UK, that's where they need to be. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming onto the show. It was really a, a pleasure, yeah, having you on the show. I hope we can meet up and talk some more. On, on other topics so thank you so much um for being on the show I, i'm going to put that link that you referred to as well as your uh, the link to your site so that if, if anyone wants to engage you especially now we're in the in the time of online learning you can actually learn from you directly and i think it can be learned from the best in the world that we have because of virtual world so thank you so much i wish you all the best and success. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Simba. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, so that we can share with you the latest updates in the news. We also would like to hear from you, your comments and feedback. Until next time, I'm your host Simba. Meet me at the top.